Welcome back to the Douglas Design District podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Villanueva. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's but, been a minute. But we're back and we have Renee Duxler. Yes, good morning. How's it going? Staying busy? Uh, staying very busy, which is a good thing. Doing all the busy things. Yeah. Changing the city. It's well trying. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, uh, one task at a time, right? That's right. That's right. How do you eat an elephant? Exactly. One bite at a time. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's good to have you. Uh, we have a very a special episode today. I'm sitting at the table with District 1 City Council Member Brandon Johnson. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We are honored to have you. Thank you so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is a much busier schedule than what Renee and I have yes. <laughs> to, uh, to sit down with us and talk to us on the Douglas Design District podcast. Uh, we have a lot of uh, people from the city who listen to this uh, this podcast who are all about seeing Wichita change for the better. Just you know, seeing walkability happen, right. more business, more commerce, more uh, economy, mm-hmm. all of that fun stuff that we, we know Wichita needs. Yeah. And you're a big part of that. And so we thank you for all of your efforts and everything that you're doing to for our yeah. city, for Wichita. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. So, Renee, you know uh, Brandon Johnson a little bit more than I do. <laughs> and so Tiny I, bit. that's right. Yeah. I'll let you take the lead on this. Sure. So we, um, yes, are very pleased to have you here this morning and definitely just wanted to kind of delve into a little bit of a know your city council member a little bit better to introduce you um, as we were talking prior to to broadcast that, um, you know, a lot of people know who you are, but there's still a fair amount who aren't aware um, of who their city council member is or even what the city does. Um, And so just to kind of have a conversation a little bit um, uh, to introduce people to you. to you. So really just starting out kind of broad and then we'll kind of move it in a little bit. Really wanted you to kind of talk about yourself a little bit. Um, did you grow up in Wichita? You know, what what was your child like like here? What did you think of it? And then kind of, you know, moving moving forward as an adult. Yeah. Just your whole life story yeah, as fast exactly. as you can. Just lay it out. Exactly. Yeah. In a nutshell. In 30 seconds. <laughs> That's right. Um, so yes, born and raised here in Wichita. Um, I went to Northeast Magnet High School, the greatest high school in Wichita. Hey, yo. Then I went to Fringe University on a football scholarship and ultimately ended up at Wichita State after the higher cost of education in Fringe <laughs> and an injury on the field. Um, but I have stayed here in Wichita and growing up, you know, my childhood was very centrally located in District 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were poor. We didn't go out too much downtown was a once maybe twice a year activity mm-hmm. nothing much was down there at that time um my grandmother who was a little more wealthy would take me out to town west from time to time or town east but mm-hmm. my experience was really neighborhood community uh city parks that type of thing and over the years i've paid attention to that and i was one of those young people that felt there wasn't a whole lot here for me as a young person um And even though I got more involved and saw there was other things going on, when you looked at talent retention and hiring opportunities, you had to fit a certain mold to be able to get a job. So that was some things I noticed as I got older and and ultimately now in a position to try to help change and make Wichita continually more attractive for young people. Right. So kind of a good transition then is kind of talking a little bit about what you did prior to to coming on to city council is your work with core. If you want to talk about that a little bit and what core is. So I did a lot of things. I Mm -hmm. mostly, (laughs) mostly an activist and core was a way to continue some of that activism and education and empowerment. Um, 
Corps was some, an organization we founded in 2011, and we, we founded it because of work me and my mentor did uh, prior to that. So my mentor is the other co-founder. His name is Tommy Benford. Still my mentor. He's the first person to call me about something good, first person to call me about something <laughs> stupid I do or say um, to this day. Um, and we still have an office where I go pick up the mail, and he lets me know how he feels things are going on in the city. But uh, we worked at an organization called Family Services Institute for a number of years. Uh, he was the person who gave me my first job at 14 in the summer job program. I took over that program at uh, 19. So I was responsible for hiring more than 100 young people. We did teen pregnancy prevention. We did life skills training. That organization shut down in 2009. So for two years, I continued to watch young people I had worked with not get the skills they need, not have the connections that they needed. And we ultimately found a core for that. And we had a grandiose vision, which we still have, but we haven't realized that part yet. I mean, we're looking multi-million dollar budget yeah, as a it's nonprofit. It's the best kind of vision to have. Yeah. <laughs> go so big we, or go home. We still right. shoot for it. Yeah. The absolutely. eating the elephant again. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's what we did. We, yeah. we started picking it apart. We do community gardens, mm -hmm. empowerment workshops for the community, looking at life insurance, expungements, looking at law enforcement, community relations. Um, that's nice. where the activism piece comes in at, at 19. I had a negative a situation with law enforcement where I was arrested and that kind of motivated me to make sure that those types of things never happened to anybody else. So that's where all of that push came from to work on that. So over the years we've used core to bring law enforcement community together. We felt like those relationships would change some of that. And we've seen some positive impacts. We've changed policy because of it. Wow. Um, but yeah. with that, kind of came more people pushing for me to run for office so yeah. it all just kind of led up to this yeah yeah well I was gonna say it feels like a silly question after all of that but kind of talking a little bit about what made you decide to serve on city council what was the impact you thought you could do on city council versus what you were kind of already doing in the community um the why is I said no for four years um and early on I thought I was too young so I, I announced I was running for city council at 29 Around 24, 25, people started saying I should consider it, but I thought that was, you know, <laughs> like mid through my 20s. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but I also liked being on the outside. So Dr. King's inspiration for me, he changed the nation, the world, not being elected. So mm -hmm. I felt like I was in good company if I could just do a fraction of what he did. Um, but over time, educating people in office about the importance of issues, bringing a poor person's perspective, the middle class perspective, that gets tiring after a while. So uh, a few influential people told me I should consider it. And I said no, I think, to one of them. But then four more kind of kept pushing me. And ultimately, my wife gave me permission to there at least go. try it. So yeah. if, if you don't have your spouse's permission, it's a, it's oh, a that's tough a big road. Deal. Yeah. yeah. So uh, once she said you know, we could try it. I got some good feedback and, and ultimately ran. And the, the biggest thing for me was making a tangible difference so we can change policy that impacts hundreds, if not thousands of people. But oftentimes um, where we're at right now at Atwater, there's an unpaved street two blocks from there. Mm -hmm. So if I, I can change all the policy I want, but those folks will come outside and say, why is the street still not paved? Right. right. So for me, on top of policy, which I understood and serving on a district advisory board for two, three years before being a council member, I also understood the power of just making an actual change that you can see and touch. If that road gets paved, which I'm working on, 
then people say voting matters. It, it matters to be connected to local government. If we can reinvest in our parks, like the ones I went to, McAdams and Edgemore, and, right. and they see those tangible things that they can touch, they believe that not only the city cares, but they see a difference and they feel different if we make those investments in neighborhoods. So for me, as an activist, being out at doors, talking to people, working on those issues, it means a lot to me if we can do things that people can tangibly see. For sure. For sure. So do you feel like now that you've been, gosh, it's been a, a little over a year now, over a year that you've been in Almost office? Almost a year and yeah, a half. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Gosh. Um, so what would you say kind of you've, you've learned in, in that year? And, and do you feel like, you know, you're capable of making the difference that you, you know, were also making kind of out in the community? Yeah, I think difference wise, there's a lot more that can happen and will happen. There's things in motion. One of the biggest things I learned is government moves slow. And I don't think the average person gets how slow government moves. You can get frustrated with something, but, you know, if we come up with a solution, you take the aquatics plan. In June of last year, we voted down what I wanted. Ultimately, we came up with a what I feel probably now is a better option that still gives the community what they wanted. That might have happened in September, right. and we're about to go into June, right. mm-hmm. and we've known for a while kind of mm-hmm. what that plan would look like. We wanted to get some citizen feedback, so we slowed down a bit, but all citizen feedback supported this idea, mm-hmm. and we've yet to vote on it. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that is, I, I, and I think that is something that, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. Most people don't fully grasp just how slow, and it is it is frustrating, I think, mm-hmm. for, for the kind of typical resident to be like, why isn't this moving? Um, but you did such a great job with communication, um, and maybe kind of speaking to that a little bit, you're probably one of the most prolific on social media, getting information out, getting reaching people where they are can you maybe speak to that a little bit like what is that communication part like for you um it's great as an activist you know you just learn that not everybody cares about meetings so you have to reach them where they're at whether it's at their door not everybody reads that flyer they'll throw it away so that's right if i see you on social media and i can reach you there i'll reach you on facebook or twitter Mm -hmm. Uh, i've been terrible on linkedin but i need to do better on that (laughs) trying to get better on instagram anybody good on linkedin i don't know i don't don't personally know anybody. (laughs) i wouldn't beat yourself too much up about that (laughs) yeah well i don't even really post on linkedin and i need to i try to get messages when i see them but It's just really about connecting with folks. And one of the big things I saw as an activist was a disconnect from government. People Mm -hmm. felt like they weren't represented or they didn't have someone listening to them. And Levanta was that. I mean, she would talk to as many people as possible. She showed up to every meeting. But, you know, I would also see people who don't go to meetings. It frustrates me in office because I'll hear people talk about entrepreneurship. And all right, well, I'll do an entrepreneurship meeting. And then (laughs) they're not there. So it's just trying to reach people where they are. And for me, it gives a lot of good feedback. And what I've tried to tell people is when I ask those questions on social media, it's not just me bringing it up in a meeting. We all look at my page. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all the answers, the majority of the council members have come up to me at some point, even the mayor, and said, well, you know, I saw that question and some of those answers. So everybody sees it. It's a way to get more feedback. And some of the stuff we've actually tried to do mm-hmm. um, and done it, I, I do a bad job of reporting back because it's just so much. But some of the ideas we've seen and things people want to change or yeah. most mm-hmm. pressing issues – we jump on that. I yeah. mean, for me, it's just email the staff. Hey, this is something that is probably pretty simple. Can we do it? Yeah. Then it gets done and 
So it's that's really a, good to get that feedback. Yeah, that's a big deal to know because a lot of people say a lot of things on social media. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it you you making that it's I always say social media is a double edged sword, mm-hmm. but the good side is a very sharp and you know, it, it's it can accomplish something. Absolutely. And so knowing that people in the community can actually go on, answer a question, give feedback, and then you're actually doing something with that, that's a big deal. I've never yeah. heard that or seen that right, personally. Right. So Well, kudos. I think, you know, government uh, people, you know, like you said, people just feel like typically um, that government officials are, are unattainable and inaccessible and that they don't, you know, you have to schedule a meeting and go up to their office to visit with them. And um, social media has really changed that and government officials. And I think the city has done a really great job with that, who have embraced being able to communicate with constituents and with residents via social media and are responsive to that. Um, just you know it kind of begets itself then then people continue to to be responsive on social media because mm-hmm. they're like hey you know they actually like responded and listened to you know what i had to say so i think it's just yeah. a good good practice yeah, yeah it I mean, also says a lot about who you are as a person not it, so if i hold a meeting and then you're not at the meeting and then i say well you weren't at the meeting and i have that attitude right well if you weren't at the meeting where where can i meet you mm-hmm. where can we where can we connect and have dialogue yeah that's why we uh so that's why we actually facebook live our district advisory board and breakfast yeah. because there were people who wouldn't show up and this was before i was a council member but levanta would do some meetings and talk about a subject and the people who really wanted to know the subject weren't there mm-hmm. so i knew when i came in well if you don't show up i can put it accessible on facebook and mm-hmm. you can go to it whenever you have time and check it out for sure, for sure. So as we're talking about District 1, let's just kind of talk a little bit now. And I'm looking uh, at the map on the wall here that, of course, our listeners can't see. But if we could kind of talk about the parameters of District 1 a little bit, like when you describe the district, how do you kind of talk to people? I mean, because it is a fairly large district for the city. Yeah. Um, kind of talk about the parameters as well as how many people that that entails. So each of the council members represent somewhere around 63 to 65. 5,000 people. Yeah, a lot of people. And District 1, um, even though I'm going to tell you the boundaries, it's bigger when you drive it. And one of the prerequisites one of the neighborhood presidents gave me before I ran was I had to drive District 1 with him Uh so he could point out everything he cared about. So um, (laughs) if you think in terms of landmarks, we're at Heights High up north, which is on 53rd Street. Mm -hmm. We go all the way down basically to St. Joe. Yeah. On Harry and Hill. So actually, we go past that to Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, our eastern border is Woodline, so we go around Eastboro. At uh, 21st Street, we take in the Comatera Homeowners Association, mm-hmm. and that goes up to 29th Street. 29th, we go over to Rock Road. Rock Road, we go up to Bel Air. We border Bel Air. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our western boundary is 135 until you get down to it's about 19th Street, 17th and 19th. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes down to Washington, all the way down to Douglas, and then everything um, between Douglas and Kellogg to the river. Yeah. And it sounds like a lot, but when you drive it, it's, it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's well, and it's such um, a, an eclectic blend of different neighborhoods, different demographics. Um, kind of talking about that a little bit, like when you're kind of have so many different kind of things going on, how do you prioritize, you know, kind of um, what's going on for District 1 and what your priorities are for the district? Um, it is different. So, like, as far as going to events i try to go to things that 
either I hadn't been to for a while mm -hmm. or I definitely try to hit the rarity. So there's like two groups that meet once a year. Mm -hmm. I try to hit those. Sure. Um, I try to get out in every part of the district. So that was one thing I, I personally don't like when someone represents me and they don't come to mm -hmm. <laughs> my area. Yeah. So I try to get out there. And I'm looking for a new way to notify people that I've been there so they don't think I hadn't been there. Because <laughs> if I'm knocking doors and I don't have anything to leave, you don't know I've been there. Sure. Yeah. So um, I try to get to all of that. Uh, I do drive around the district from time to time, areas where there might be issues. So over here, we have a lot of legal dumping from people who don't live over here. They just bring the trash yeah. over here. So yeah. trying to find ways to solve that out south. There's some crime issues in the uh, – Schreider area mm -hmm. and then west of the Schreider area there's a little more our demographics are changing so district one really has the, the high population of black wichita mm -hmm. um, but that's becoming more um, hispanic in some areas sure. which is pretty cool you see the the culture coming into the neighborhood and from college hill they've always got some cool stuff going on so going over there <laughs> um especially over at uh Ziggy's Pizza. <laughs> yeah, we were Specifically. just there this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, we've got a lot of cool neighborhoods and uh, historic neighborhoods from Fairmount and McAdams and A. Price Woodard. So it's just cool to get out to all of those things. And really my priorities, the way I ran our race and our campaign was based on community issues. Mm -hmm. So my priorities are theirs. Mm -hmm. So wherever there's something that part of the district cares about, that's something I try to help them with. Sure. Sure. What do you kind of see then um, looking outside of the district? I know we've had this conversation before. Um, you know, it's a big conversation that, yes, you are elected and you serve District 1, but also, you know, you're here for the city of Wichita as a whole. So what do you kind of see as the priorities for um, the greater Wichita area? So honestly, a lot of that is the same. Yeah. Um, for me, the core of Wichita was very important. So core parts one uh six four and three and that's where a lot of our middle class folks work live um that's a lot that's where a lot of our parks that we didn't invest in through the recession are mm -hmm. um i think Plainview was on the outskirts of that we haven't done much at Plainview at all um, we're looking at building that new splash pad there which would be awesome i think it would be the biggest splash pad in the system we have Good. so great. that will be cool but really in those areas you're looking at quality housing transit so accessibility around the city mm -hmm. we just heard at our council meeting from a young man andrew crane that we need to do better with some of our bus stops which i agree with i live by uh, an area that's full of folks with some form of disability mm -hmm. right. and there's a bus stop that's on a slope that's all grass and there's no cement how did we get to that so yeah we've got to look around and see how we can improve that and our director michael tan is definitely already looking at that we just need to push this is where the speed of government comes in yep. <laughs> um but outside of quality housing i believe that entrepreneurship and small business can change low-income areas if those mm -hmm. folks are empowered to start a business and own it they'll clean up around their business that right. just mm -hmm. catch on like wildfire to other people taking care of the area they'll hire from the area yeah. so i think the more that we can do to support that and then teach low-income people you don't always have to work for somebody you can own your own business you can be That's the boss huge. Those are things that I really care about to see change the core of Wichita. Yeah. Outside of that, the other quality of life stuff is okay. We can have those bigger attractions. But I think when you look at quality of place, 
I don't fully care if you have a new baseball stadium if my neighborhood sucks. <laughs> so I need to invest in the neighborhood to make sure even if I don't go to this baseball stadium, mm-hmm. my street looks good. I don't have those potholes. The park down the street looks good. We've got the equipment for our kids. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I really care about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there was even a recent study that just came out. I mean, there's lots of studies that have been talking about, you know, placemaking and, and community engagement in their place. But there was a recent study again that came out that said, if you have a park, a pool, a business, something just down the street from you that you can have easy access to, that even your um, public, you know, your physical health and your mental health um, improve just, you know, kind of having those kind of amenities yeah. Um, yeah. close. And I think that's so important as we have conversations about um, even, you know, crime and mental health and all the other things that we're having conversations about just how much of an impact something like having a park, having a pool, having those, a library um, is really important in the, in the neighborhoods um, with that accessibility and, and then having the transportation. Yeah ability as well and and the other big thing is the food desert and finding ways to shift away from the historical model of relying on bigger companies like kroger dillon's walmart to come in and and supply that i think we are moving into a way and what i support and what i'm trying to work on is the small business model where you have a mom and pop style grocery store that may run out of produce every Thursday because everybody bought it all, but Mm -hmm. their overhead is low because they're not throwing away produce. They're supplying a need. And if you get more of those going, I think that's the way to go. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of economists and folks say, no, you know, you need a Trader Joe's or something, but I I just really (laughs) believe honestly, if folks who know Renee, if Renee opened a grocery store and it was just Mm -hmm. a small suite um, and they knew they can go in there and get their lettuce, tomatoes, and yeah. cucumbers and stuff. And they knew that she didn't have a lot, so they made sure they got in there before Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And she sold out. There'd be a few people frustrated, but she would always have that base coming in. And that would be the small business model that really helps solve some of our issues in the yeah. food desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I really love the entrepreneurial conversation. And you just you have my gears turning because you talked about empowering more people in district one and poor neighborhoods areas to actually become business owners. And I've, I'm an aspiring business owner. One day I will own my own business. Yes. I just yes. said it out loud. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but you know, Douglas design district is, is very known for having local locally owned businesses started by, you know, small business owners, entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so I'm just in my head wondering if that gap could be bridged somehow creating some sort of mentorship or even open forum or conversation with people who might be interested or whatever it is. I just, well, it's interesting that you say that because I have been able to have some conversations with the Dunbar district and really talking to them about what we did with Douglas design district and kind of giving them some of those tools to kind of build up. And they are in that process of really trying to attract entrepreneurs and attract small businesses there for Dunbar. Um, but I'm thrilled and mm-hmm. anything that I can do because I would love to see them, you know, replicate in their own way. Yeah, it's going right. to have their personality. It's going to be their thing, but be able to replicate that um, as well. Same thing with the Crossgate district down South mm-hmm. um, further. I've been having conversations with them and sitting with them and talking about what we did. And it's been really fun to watch um, these little districts start to pop up and people start mm-hmm. to say, we want that, you know, where right. we're at. And yeah, I'm right. like, let me, yeah, <laughs> how, let's how do can it. I help you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> better so, together. As they for say. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, that's, that's been a lot of fun for sure. So, yeah. 
Um, speaking of the city partnerships and the de- design district, you know, we've always had a pretty good relationship with the city. Um, as we're, um, you know, now talking about um, walkability, accessibility, um, and have had a um, infrastructure project, you know, on the books now for a while, um, really just kind of talking about the process and, and talk about, you know, things moving slowly. It's sl- too slow for us. <laughs> and Brandon knows well. Yeah. He hears from me a lot more than he probably cares to. Well, but you guys just did uh, <laughs> a big push to try and yes. kind of motivate that process a little bit yes, for the we did. We did. Division. And I'm actually, you know, it was it was interesting because we did that and people woke up and, and started yeah. talking and it started conversations that we didn't anticipate. Um, but in the long run, were um, very critical conversations yeah. that needed to take place. And it was one of the few times that I actually slowed it down. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Brandon was like, whoa, <laughs> we need to back up. And and at the time, we were like, oh, man, come on. But it was the right move. It was absolutely the right move yeah. and what we needed to do. And I think I couldn't be more pleased with how things have moved forward. But maybe kind of talk a little bit about you know that process. I mean, it literally... Um, things came up with the street structure that businesses were like, this isn't going to work for us. And, um, I was pleased that Brandon stopped and said, let's, let's hear this out. And it turned out they had some very valid concerns that Mm. needed to be addressed. And ultimately we're now having a bigger conversation about not just the district, but downtown streets altogether. We've actually went somewhere. I didn't think we would go, um, which is not a bad thing, but, Early on, I knew the push was coming, so I didn't really, I didn't fully understand the streetscape initially until I was sworn in. Mm -hmm. So I'd heard about it, but when I looked and saw everything was programmed in 2009 and this wasn't coming up until 2022, but there was a push to Mm -hmm. move it up and I kind of looked into it and talked with staff about it. It's like, okay, I get it. And then we had to try (laughs) to find a way to move it up which would have pushed out some critical projects so we ended up not moving it up but we kept it where it was at Mm -hmm. and then um i started hearing from other property owners on douglas that just were not happy about this at all so that was interesting Mm -hmm. in a room that i thought would have five people there was 35 Mm -hmm. and just kind of let me know how this just was not good they showed up for that meeting yeah (laughs) so the, (laughs) the thing i like about criticism though is if if the critic is willing to talk to you mm-hmm. outside of the criticism, you can learn from it. So that first meeting was just really upset. Don't like it. Don't like these things. And I took that to say, we need to have another meeting mm-hmm. without the other group. Cause it just seemed that was a, a issue in itself that I don't, if I can minimize arguing, I'll do it. Cause I don't sure. really care to hear it. So we had another meeting, and in that meeting, I really pushed for specifics on what the actual issues were outside of not liking what it looks like. What are your actual concerns? That got out a lot of good information as far as semis turning and radiuses and beating Mm -hmm. up things that we just build, and all of that was really good information. And then we had a collective meeting where this group's idea and push was presented to the other group which spurred more conversation, which was pretty good. We got about 95% of the way to an agreement. And at that point, um, the city manager said we should bring in an outside Mm -hmm. person. So I said I would stay out of all of those because if I'm in the room, somebody comes to me with an issue. 
Great. If I'm not in the room, people have to talk to each other and figure it out. So I stayed kind of out like of being that. like a parent sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. So I, where I thought that was going to go was we were going to just have a stalemate. And Nelson Nygaard comes in. And then I get an uh, email saying, hey, so that three-lane proposal, we're probably going to do it. And I just sent, yeah. I sent back like, yeah, right. <laughs> not happening. And then uh, – I heard from, I think I saw Janelle post online that that was going to happen. And then I got an email from someone who originally told me that would never happen saying, yeah, this is good. Yeah. And I was just in disbelief for about two weeks. I kept asking, like, you guys are playing with me. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it ended up good, slowing down and having a real discussion mm-hmm. about the actual concerns because from my perspective concerns were the same in both groups on some things and then the other part was just moving wichita forward on the walkability piece yeah there's a lot of folks who don't like it but i think most most business owners who understand that increased traffic foot traffic means more opportunity i think a lot of those businesses on douglas are going to change to take advantage of folks walking and using those Mm -hmm. scooters when they come and all of that they Mm -hmm. want you to come in and spend your money Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, of course, you know, where our kind of push has always been is to, you know, help our businesses there in the district and continue to um, provide that as well as, you know, as we have conversations about attracting and retaining talent, um, you know, we've kind of always also pushed that, like, even if you have office space in the district, you're not a retail or storefront, this you know, also benefits you because people are going to want to, you know, live in the Douglas Design District, work in the district, you know, play in the district. That's kind of our whole thing. And so really taking a look at it from even that kind of higher level of mm-hmm. um, job growth and being able to attract and retain mm-hmm. talent as well. Yeah. So, I, uh, I have a question that's not on our page. <laughs> I'm going off script, <laughs> oh, y'all. Off script. Uh, yeah, I just I kind of want to know from your from your perspective, because I'm you know, I moved here in 2010 from Houston, Texas. So I went from big city to. I don't know, small town, what do you call Wichita? Yeah. But I, I vowed that I would love the city. And so I've, over time, I've, I've come to love the city. There's places to go and the people are phenomenal. And there's that entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, people are excited about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And there's been that whole resurgence. And so I, I actually lived on Douglas there at uh, Lulu and Douglas above the, uh, what is the, Designers um, Ex- Expo? Oh, uh, Dunning and Dunning. Yes. Okay. Right. So there's yep. some apartment units. I lived up there until 2014, and then I moved to the north side, the north end. But then right around 2014, things really started booming <laughs> in the district, uh, and so I've I've got to see you know Ziggy's come in and all these places come in and mm-hmm. things really get revamped and Avenue Art Days and DDD and Artisan Market all that stuff happening. And so from an outsider perspective, like hey, there's a lot of stuff to do. But how about you? What 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 have you been most excited about? seeing happening in the district just maybe over time over the past five years? That is a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you did go off script. So you asked me that question and I also uh, struggle with it because I'm like, oh gosh, I mean, there's just, for me, there's so much that it's hard to kind of pinpoint, okay, what do I really? (laughs) Maybe the the thing I'm most excited about is um, more efforts to improve the district where we are um 
and one of the things in downtown is a part of it, but you know, there was so much focus on downtown, so many entities focusing downtown mm-hmm. and it's worked. I mean, we've seen that, but seeing it spread from downtown into other parts has been really good. Um, folks, I believe, you know, it's not huge. It's still growing, but folks now see a little more opportunity than before. If they have an idea, they can bring it to fruition. That's exciting. And that's what I really want to push. And that's Mm -hmm. where that entrepreneurial piece is. My frustration has been, though, with that. We see the opportunity. I continue to say, I said it during the campaign, we're pretty much at the edge of the cliff. Are we going to jump or are we going to? get scared and turn around and walk away yeah and we talk about entrepreneurial spirit quite a bit but are we putting resources into Mm -hmm. it because oftentimes an entrepreneur especially lower income middle class has credit problems has access to capital issues we're not putting that capital out there for them to access at cheaper rates um we're not we have all of these networks. You can go network Kansas. You can go to the small business development center and get all those resources. But we don't have people, uh, let's say call it a career coach. We don't have someone that says you want to open a clothing store, mm-hmm. but you have a 300 credit score work with me for the next six months. So I can help you rebuild yeah. that to a 500. And then you start mm-hmm. to see the light. Once you get to a 500, let's try to work on getting you to 650 so you can qualify for some better interest rates. Right. Where's the access to grant money to kind of get you started so you can start making some money to help pay for things and pay off mm-hmm. debt? We don't have that. So we're still at a point where people see Douglas Design District. Man, you know, if I can just get over there on Douglas, I can mm-hmm. be successful. There's some people to see that on 21st or 17th or 13th, but it's still that gap that we're not filling. It's kind of that reverse engineering, right? Here's Mm -hmm. the big vision, but how do we get there? Right, right. Well, and I know, um, you know, from our perspective at the design district, you know, we want to attract business and we want to attract new business um, and and different business. You know, we're we're fairly um, kind of um, homogenous right now in terms of, you know, what everything looks like. Um, And for us, if we can... Um, figure out ways to, I mean, it benefits our property owners who have properties on the district that need to be filled. Um, You know, it benefits then once we create that density to where we do have, you know, our properties filled and, you know, each place has something going on, then it is a lot more walkable um, in those terms. And so there's, you know, all sorts of incentive for us to do that um, as well. And so, you know, figuring out ways to, to partner with the city as well as, you know, our neighbors and other residents on how do we invest in making, you know, helping small business owners succeed. And so I, I hope that we can continue to have those kind of public private partnership conversations about mm-hmm. how do we, how do we do this? And not just for the district, for Dunbar, for Crossgate, for, you know, all the different kind of places around town that, you know, we just really need to get behind, um, to making that initial investment that's going to you know pay right. back in dividends yeah. and we need yeah. to find a way as a city to to have forms of incentives for small small business like mom and pop yes we yeah. do everything we can to make sure Mead's corner gets torn down or you know something <laughs> big gets built but yeah. you know when somebody's like i want to open a coffee shop you come to us well mm-hmm. sorry yeah and and i think that is probably the biggest frustration of 
you know, talking to small business owners every day, um, that is probably the biggest frustration is that, you know, we hear, well, well government isn't going to pick winners. We don't, you know, pick. And then they watch, you know, incentives go to, you know, kind of oh, bigger yeah. businesses. Well, if, if you've and that's, got money. that's incredibly frustrating yeah. um, from a small business owner perspective um, to, to, you know, kind of deal with. So, yep. So we like to give our listeners a call to action. And so, uh, what, what would you have people listening, um, today? What would you, would you have them do, uh, maybe to follow you online or get involved in the conversation? Where can people go to maybe find resources or connect to what, what you're doing in the city? Um, well, me personally, I'm on Facebook. So Brandon Johnson's my personal page. Brandon J. Johnson's my personal page. Councilman Brandon Johnson is my public page. Um, my call to action would be engage all of your council members. So uh, not everybody listening to this lives in District 1. Reach out to your council member. Talk about your visions, right. your ideas. Um, although I just talked about reaching you where you are, try to go to a district advisory board meeting. Try mm-hmm. to go to a um, breakfast um, hear what's going on in District 1. We always try to have some topic that's informational. Uh, outside of that, there's a lot of issues coming up from Tribe New to Release to mm-hmm. uh, Places for People. Those conversations are going to be happening. But uh, let us know what you think. Right now we have a budget simulator. Take that. That gives us really some priorities. Cool. It shows you if you uh, own a home or a property what your tax bill would be if you pay for some of the things you want or if you cut everything back, <laughs> how much money you would save. And that lets us all know priorities of the city. So we'll, we'll yeah. be watching all that data once it comes in. Um, but do that and then get involved in neighborhoods. One of our pushes for a decrease in violence, as we've seen some of that spike up just a little bit, mm-hmm. is getting involved, knowing your neighbors, knowing what's going on. Um, you know, if your neighbor's having a bad day and you don't know them, you don't know that. But if mm-hmm. they are and you know that, you can talk to them and help them through whatever it might be. We've seen... Uh, when well, we had two uh, recent shootings, but the first shooting with law enforcement was a mental illness case, mm-hmm. you know, and if you know somebody and you kind of figure out they have a an illness, you don't have to ask everybody what their illness is. That's a little invasive. But, yeah. you know, if you all are talking and you know they struggle sometimes and you see them struggling one day, maybe you're that person that saves them from something else that might happen. Yeah. So really engaging your, your neighbors, knowing who they are, talking to them. Um, you know, we're pretty divided as a country right now for obvious reasons, but we could try to find ways to unify around things that matter. And I think our common humanity is that thing. Absolutely. For sure. Well, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much again for taking time. And I'm, I'm inspired this morning. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I know, kind of a great way to kick off the morning and yeah. go out and conquer the world now. Awesome. Well, we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll do our part and we'll link. Um, mm-hmm. everything that we can resources in the show exactly. notes and that kind of stuff so yeah. that people can uh, click and follow and, and get engaged and do all that fun stuff. So, Absolutely. all right, DDD, thank you so much for listening. Yes. Always check us out on dddwichita.com and uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, you can follow everything that's going on. Get uh, Go to our website and actually get signed up for our emails. Renee's been doing a fantastic job of getting emails out so people know what is going on. You can get links to a new podcast and then, again, all the events that are happening. And then find ways to connect with what's happening in the city as well. So, Renee, thank you. Brandon Johnson, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And we'll catch you next month. Yep, next month. Bye-bye.